the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. All right, I'll tell you something that doesn't need a haircut. That's Jesse Ventura. He's been bald for about 30 years, but he returns to Talk is Jericho for his third visit, and this time he's talking politics. That's right, Jesse knows a thing or two as a former governor of Minnesota, and he's got a new book, A Shit Politicians Say. You'll hear why he decided not to run for president this year, if he's considering a run in 2020, and what he thinks of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. He's also talking about the latest in his court case against American sniper Chris Kyle. He was vilified for that, but you'll see his side of the story. Court threw out the $1.8 million in damages that a jury awarded Jesse and ordered a new trial. We'll hear all about what happened and how Jesse feels about that. Not happy, as you can imagine. He's also going to share some of the ideas he wrote in his uh, new book, another new book, Jesse Ventura's Marijuana Manifesto. Wait to hear his thoughts on why marijuana was classified as an illegal drug way back in the day. It's another great, entertaining conversation with the former governor of Minnesota, the former voice of Saturday Night's main event, Jesse the Body Ventura. He is going to be here. Uh, after you check out that episode of, with Jesse, uh, I want you to go check out the Team Tiger Awesome Show. It's the second podcast added to the Jericho Network. They've got their first three episodes released, and you will laugh, I guarantee it, this week. So they uh, construct their dream action hero and truly creates Global Jones. Yeah, you got to go hear all about Global Jones, the newest action hero. Uh, <laughs> great, great, random, funny pop culture uh, comedy. There, You've heard them before on Who's Hot and Who's Not on Star Wars Symposium. Uh, Superman versus Batman right here on Talk is Jericho. If you like them, and you obviously do because they do a great rating whenever on the show, go check out the Team Tiger Awesome Show. Get some laughs from Monday, Truly, and Clint. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button for Keeping It 100 for, with Conan as well. Huge, huge hit the via flagship podcast on the Jericho Network. He and his crew have been killing it. They've got a whole new way of doing podcasting. It's a news magazine, uh, whack pack, early morning type show. Very funny. Conan knows exactly what he's doing. Go check that show out. Okay, and get ready to check out Jesse Ventura. He's standing by. All right. Back on Talk is Jericho for the third time. My old friend Jesse Ventura. Lots to talk about now, Jess. Lots going on. I guess so, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're uh, one of the most prolific guys. I've written four books now, and I think you just blow me away. You've got two books, two new books now. How many is this for you now? Um, maybe I'm getting a little like a, an old Irish golfer I played with, Eamon Darcy, in the Pro-Am here. <laughs> I asked Eamon, I said, Eamon, how many holes in one have you had in your career? And he looked at me and said, I quit counting after 17. <laughs> so there you, you go. Know, I kind of chuckled and thought, gee, I guess if I had 17 hole-in-ones, I'd quit counting too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, uh, no, I think, I, I guess, eight or nine so when you have, a, does an idea pop in your head? For example, you're talking about uh, a couple books. We'll start with The Shit Politicians Say, yeah. uh, which is a great idea, and I've been reading through just some of the most ridiculous things, and, and even the fact that you even uh, name-check yourself, stupid shit that I've said. Is this just something where you just went, okay, i gotta, I got to make a list of all these, or, or how did this come about? Oh, no, it, it's deeper than that. Uh, I, uh, Tony Lyons, my, who's my uh, uh, publisher at Skyhorse, and I give Tony credit. He's got guts because he publishes what I want to write, mm-hmm. and he has no qualms about it. Skyhorse is a terrific company to work for. And, uh, no, Tony, Tony came up with the idea, really. He fired it by me, and he said, you know, next year is going to be the big political season. He said, we ought to do a book. On, on uh, you know, when I had dinner with him, on the the craziest, stupidest things politicians have said, and that that's literally how they usually start is mm-hmm. over dinner or whatever. We'll talk, and uh, so then we got the right people at Skyhorse. We started digging and researching, and we go in the book. We go all the way back to things the founding fathers allegedly said, and I got to tell you, Chris, they weren't sitting around the campfire singing Kumbaya. <laughs> I mean, John Adams says some horrible things about George Washington, and Adams and Jefferson, you could, you could tell they couldn't stand each other. But yet, the unique thing about it was, even with all those differences, they still set them aside. They put the country first, and they, of course, created the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the very fabric of our nation. So, And I think that's something these guys today should take a look at and learn from you know the country should come first not whatever your personal uh political positions are 
Well, it, it seems a very timely book, like you mentioned, with with the with, you know the political race going on, because it seems every day between Trump and Hillary, they're saying something. Especially Trump, obviously, that, I think that's kind of his modus operandi is just saying as many outrageous things as he possibly can to get a reaction. Yeah, they, well, like I said, you, you could probably do additional chapters to the book every year because uh, some of the stuff is astounding. And uh, first, let me explain we who qualified, and that's what we wanted to do first. So we, we limited to people who have actually held office or ran for office. You know, that that's how you made the book. So somebody like a Jerry Falwell, who can say a lot of outrageous things in his day, he wouldn't make the book because he never ran for office or any of the Hollywood people who might get political and make statements and all that. So, uh, you know, you had to have either held office or ran for an office. Okay, so like, obviously, like you said, you're a very smart guy. Even you had a couple of faux pas. Sometimes you say things that don't make sense. But who do you think legitimately, like, the big thing was always Dan Quell was almost very stupid in the things that he said. Is he the worst offender of all these? Well, I, I you know, the worst would be up to you, the reader. <laughs> right. You know, I think, I don't think I'm really prepared to say I can tell you personally i i find george w bush just i mean the the quote we have from him on the back cover to me is just astounding where he said someday some smart person's going to come along and find and figure out exactly what did happen in this oval office i mean that sounds to me like a confession <laughs> yeah. you know and i'm going well what are you talking about here was some smart person's going to figure out what you guys did what, Trump up the Iraq war? Are we talking 9-11? What, what are we talking about here? <laughs> but was that just one of his just quips? Because he was always kind of like, I always think of Will Ferrell uh, playing playing him where he's got the ball of yarn like a cat, and he's just kind of looking at the ball of yarn, just transfixed by it. That always kind of seemed to be what George Bush's uh, kind of mindset was. Well, you know, I have, you know, I kind of, um, I'm under the opinion a little more that, uh, uh, I, I think in a lot of ways Dick Cheney ran the operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I, that's just my—I have you know—I can't swear to anything or that I have direct knowledge of anything. But in just watching and thinking back to what went on, I kind of viewed Bush as kind of a figurehead through the whole thing, and uh, he was the out front guy. But the real true operator was Darth Vader, Dick Cheney. Mm. Doesn't that happen quite often, though? Isn't kind of the, the behind-the-scenes machination uh, really w- runs the government in a lot of, a lot of cases? Uh, I can't answer that because I don't, I, I, with my experience, no. Mm-hmm. The, the Independence Party was such a loose-knit thing to begin with, our third party in Minnesota, and uh, I, didn't pay, I didn't take any special interest money, and I, didn't take, I never met with a lobbyist my entire four years so from my perspective, no, I ran it. Okay. You know, when I, when I ran Minnesota, it was me because nobody, I didn't know nobody. I only raised 300000 bucks. I actually made more money doing the job than I raised to get the job. And uh, so in my case, I can honestly say, no, there was nobody behind the scenes. Now, were there people I consulted? Of course. You know, I had an inner group of people that, uh, you know, would run things by me, and certainly I had 24 commissioners, and the way I ran my government was I hired the best and the brightest that knew about that particular job and then get out of their way and let them do their job. Mm-hmm. And if they shine, you shine. It's simple, you know, and you because know, anyone that tells you that they know everything is lying. You know, when you get in, there's 24 departments alone in the state of Minnesota that you have appoint commissioners for. You can't be an expert on all 24 of them. So you have to rely on people who are. And, uh, and you have to use your... But then, of course, as Harry Truman said, ultimately the buck stops with you, hopefully, mm-hmm. of saying yay or nay or accepting an idea and moving forward with it. Let me ask you a question. You said that you only raised three hundred thousand dollars, which for you know to get appointed governor would seem very minimal. To get elected governor. To get elected governor. I sorry. wasn't appointed. This ain't the WWE. <laughs> You're appointed the general manager of Minnesota, of the state of Minnesota. <laughs> You're elected governor on three hundred grand, which obviously is very very minimal. But like you said, that enabled you to kind of do your own thing. How did you? How were you able to get in though with such such minimal contributions? Well, because first of all, I, I one of the Things I truly wanted to run on was that nobody owned me. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that, that, that there wasn't some behind-the-scenes puppet master who was financing me. And it, and in Minnesota, they had this option where for 50 or 100 bucks, you could give it to a candidate and write it off of your taxes as, okay. a, as a donation. They, they, they subsequently, after I won, took that away because they don't want anyone like me coming along again. See how it works? Yeah. And so, but at that time they had it, so citizens could contribute up to a hundred dollars and then deduct it off their taxes, and that was the uh, you know for fifty or a hundred bucks you're not going to get in my door, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know rest assured because there's all the other people that gave the same amount, and so that's what I ran on, and it gave me the freedom then to go in there. Why do you think they wanted me gone, Chris? Lobbyists get paid big money to gain access to elected officials. And the first day I got in office, I told my staff, no lobbyists, they didn't elect me, so why do I need to talk with them? Don't waste my time. So the word went out, a lobbyist will not get in to meet Governor Ventura. Not going to be able to uh, to uh, use their influence on you because of the money that they spent on you. Well, and maybe it showed after I got out of office because... I was never, all these guys get out of office and they fall into these cushy jobs. I never got offered one job when I came out of office. Why is that? Well, I suppose because I didn't, you know, push somebody's lobbying through to where, okay, I'll take care of this for you. And then when I'm done, you can hire me as a consultant and I'll make mm-hmm. money long after I'm out of office. Right, right. You know, that type of quid pro quo crap. See, and yeah, I'm amazed because I, and get this, the only school that offered me to come and teach politics, believe it or not, Harvard. Wow. The University of Minnesota didn't. Nobody else, but Harvard did. I went out and taught at Harvard for a year. I mean, that says it all right there. Yeah, uh, well, because they're, you know, and, and people say to me, well, what did you teach at Harvard? I said, I taught third party politics. John F. Kennedy School of Government. And like I told my kids out there, my students, I said, look, I said, Harvard's going to teach you the theory of government. I said, learn it well and understand it. Harvard's also big enough to bring me in here, and I'm going to teach you the reality of government, because theory and reality sometimes can be two different things. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you how it really works. Learn the theory, and then I'll tell you how it really goes down. Well, cause they, I'll tell you what, they let me teach you anything I want. In fact, you'll love it. One of my classes was how pro wrestling prepares you for politics. Now, that's interesting. So what was your theory on that? Well, my theory is simple. I'm, I'm the end result. Uh, first of all, in wrestling, we all know anything that uh, Murphy's Law is going to hit in every match, everything that can go wrong will. Mm-hmm. You know, something's going to happen during every match that you're not prepared for. So you have to have the ability to think on your feet, adapt to whatever took place, and continue on. Well, in politics, you're going to run into questions you're not prepared for. You're going to run into things won't be laid out for you like they are in these phony debates where you know the questions ahead of time and all that. But that's going to happen. Second thing, in pro wrestling, at least in my era, very much in my era, the money was made at the mic, not the ring. Mm-hmm. And so it taught you how to be comfortable in front of the camera. It taught you how to sell yourself. What's the difference between me selling myself to get somebody to spend their hard-earned money to come down and see me get beat, because I was a villain, uh, between that and getting them to vote for you? You're still selling yourself, aren't you? Mm-hmm. There you go. Just like wrestling. Then the final thing is I explained to my Harvard students is the characters we play in wrestling may or may not be what we actually are. You know, you may have somebody plays this role in the wrestling ring and they're the complete opposite outside the ring. We all know cases of that. Mm-hmm. And, and so you assume a role. I said, politics is the same thing. I said, the person you hear talking to you and in the political arena and what they're saying to you may be nothing like what they truly and really are. Case in point, 
a couple decades ago, there was that congressman from Florida who was vehemently against anything that supported gay rights. And in the end, it turned out he was gay. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a guy obviously deceiving the public because if he's gay, he's trying to make it look like he's not by voting against and you know hmm. against any gay amendment or anything that would benefit gay people. And so there's an example of people you have in politics that are nothing like what they are in real life. And I'm sure it goes on a lot more than just that. Well, I think you're right. You even talk about when Reagan got in. I think a lot of that was the fact that he was used to being in front of a camera as an actor, being a Hollywood film star. Sure. You know, It helps. And even with Obama when he got in, I mean, he was such a rock star on TV when he first came in there against John uh, against uh, um, McCain, who just looked like kind of a withered-up old man. You could tell that people were going to vote for Obama just on the way that he conducted himself and the way he looked. Yep. Well, when, okay, this election, the, the Libertarians invited me to their convention twice, but I knew that Governor Johnson, Governor Gary Johnson, wanted to run again, and I, I thought hard about it, and I was up for running. I was up for shaming them into letting me debate, and once I'm allowed to debate, I'll beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another thing too. Never debate a wrestler, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. <laughs> and Trump knows that. That's why he'd avoid me like the plague because he knows that I'm a wrestler and, and we can talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm one of the best because I actually had the microphone for you know five six years, whatever it was. Right. But uh, so we we can do all that. But I, I seriously thought about it. But the part I couldn't, I I, I run to win. And I sat and thought, do you want to do this till you're 70 years old? Because I'm 65 now, believe it or not. I went on Medicare this year. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't go in 100%. And so because of that, I thought, you know what? You can't not go in 100%. If you're going to go after this, you have to be fully committed to do it, doing it. And I couldn't commit myself to doing the job, cleaning up the mess afterwards. So I chose not to run. But I'll tell you what. One of the things that I think if I would have run that could have propelled me, you got two candidates here that their negatives are way over 50%. They're the most disliked presidential candidates in history. And I think that if I was on that ballot as an alternative, that I could beat both of these, especially if I was allowed into the debates, because I have something that neither of those two have, and not even Donald Trump's money can buy it, Chris. You know what that is? What? I have an honorable discharge from six years in the United States Navy. Mm-hmm. And notice that none of these candidates have ever served. Mm. You know, they all tell you how they support the military, but none of them would serve themselves. And, and, and it drives me crazy, like on the Republican side. In my opinion, all, every Republican candidate should have been disqualified for president. You know why? Why? Every one of them admitted they would waterboard and they would torture. Hmm. Well, Chris, as a military guy, that's committing a war crime. Right. How can you have a commander-in-chief who would admit they would commit a war crime before they even got into office? Yeah, and people forget about that. You know what I mean? Like, I think you that's, even that's said... A, and I, Chris, I've been waterboarded. I know what it is. You got waterboarded... I'm a former competitive swimmer very comfortable frog man i'm very comfortable in the water and waterboarding is torture any one of us will tell you that we got it at sear school survival escape resistance evasion in my day you had to attend that school and pass it before you could go into the combat zone of vietnam and so essentially we all went we were all waterboarded there now explain exactly what waterboarding is just quickly for people that might not know exactly what it is because it's brutal it's down, you can't move, you're at a slight decline with your head being lower than your feet, right? Right. You cannot move. Then they put like a towel over your face and they start pouring water. Well, the first thing it does, have you ever got water in your sinuses swimming? Yeah. What does it feel like? It it hurts. Oh, it burns beyond belief. Well, imagine every nasal cavity fills up with water. Mm. All of them. Not just one. All of them. 
and you got about, I think, five or six or eight or something. So you feel that initially. Then it gives you the complete sensation that you're drowning. Hmm. And like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, that guy down at Gitmo, who they claim confessed to doing 9-11. Right. Well, then the truth came out. They waterboarded him like 150 times. I got news for you, Chris. Every one of us would have confessed to 9-11. Yeah, or to anything that you want. that's why torture is not credible. If you're torturing someone, eventually they're going to say whatever it takes to stop the torture. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they will. I made the famous quote, Yale University has a, a, a thing every year with the famous quotes, and this is about 10 years ago now, I guess. It was when the torture issue came up and I was on Larry King. And I looked at Larry King and I said, Larry, here's what made it on Yale. I said, Larry, you give me Dick Cheney a waterboard in one hour and I'll have him confess to the Sharon Tate murders. (laughs) (laughs) And I would, he would. Yeah, right. right. Actually, I had to withdraw it. You know why? Why? Cheney's got a bad heart. He dropped dead. Waterboarding would kill him. Yeah, right. You know, I don't think he could survive it. You know, but that's the truth of the matter is that, you know, and, and all, getting back on track again, every one of these supposed presidential candidates admitted they would torture people. Mm. And we're the United States of America. Aren't we supposed to be better than the other people? Right. Yeah. We're, we're, I would think so. We're the first world, you know, the dominant nation in the first world. We shouldn't be talking like that. Well, you should always, the people should want to be you. Well, take a look at, I don't know if you heard about the poll that took place. God, what was it, uh, about two years ago, maybe a little more, Gallup did it. And they kept it quiet here. And Gallup went out and polled, I think, 3,000 people or something throughout the world. And one of the questions they asked them was, if you, if you and your country were to go to war, who do you think it would likely be against? 23%, now this is international, no one in the U.S., 23% said the United States, mm. 8% said China, 6% said Pakistan. Wow. Now, as a veteran, I hang my head in shame over that. As a country, absolutely. One out of four people in the world believe they'll be at war with us. We're now the aggressor in the world. We are. And people in this country better wake up to that. We are a war culture. Look at the ads on TV. Look at those crazy ads Arnold does. Mm. All of that glorifies war. Okay, let's get into religion a moment. Religion says thou shalt not kill. And I talked about this on my internet thing. And I said, who's more powerful, government or God? And clearly government is. Because God says, thou shalt not kill, yet government counters that and says, no, you can kill, and in fact, you'll be a hero if you kill at the behest of government. Mm-hmm. Right. True? Yep, true, yep. There you go. Yeah. So how do people justify that when God says you should not kill, and yet government says, well, don't worry about what God says. If you kill on our behalf, not only... We'll we'll build statues for you, we'll give you medals, we'll give you all of this stuff. And we'll even pay the NFL to honor you at football games. Imagine that. It was ridiculous, for sure. Oh, did they kill that story? That came out one day where it was discovered that our Defense Department was paying the National Football League to honor veterans. They were paying the national... Yes, you didn't hear about that? No, I did not. It was a one-day story. It got killed right away. Nobody talks about it. The the Department of Defense, our tax dollars, were paying the billionaire owners of the NFL. All of this shit you see on NFL football where they honor the veterans, they were being paid to do that. Wow, that's heavy. I mean, and they got caught, and now the NFL says, "Well, we're going to donate it all to veteran charity." Well, yeah, because you got caught, and it gave you a black eye, and and people realize, gee, and I as a veteran, they might as well have slapped me in the face. Yeah, why would they have to pay to honor the vets, right? 
Should be something that's well, done. Well, because that's how it works. Yeah, I understand. When you, they all honor you till they're done with you. And the minute you're done killing on their behest, they could care less about you. Look at our VA hospitals. Mm-hmm. No, they I, could care less. People better start waking up to that fact and understand that the government could care less. All they care about is that you're doing the bidding of the Internet. These wars in the Middle East are all over oil. Mm-hmm. They're about money-making. That's all. And they, they throw red herrings to get you to believe they're for other reasons. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you said earlier that nobody owned you, isn't that kind of what Trump's platform is, being like a billionaire or whatever he is, that nobody owns him so he's going to be... Problem is, he's going to these Republican fundraisers, and he picked Pence, who's a complete Republican insider. So, uh, you know, Donald's a Republican, yeah, maybe they, but, you know, he's, he's going to get bought off, too, because he joined the party. You can't not join the gang and not follow the gang's rules. Mm. He may buck them for a while, but you notice he's bending to them, too. Oh, you got to secure your base. Oh, you got to pick somebody. His best bet would have been to take another rebel. He should have taken me. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, that would have caused holy crap to happen. <laughs> you know? But then again, see, I would have did things. Donald, like, take the case. We'll make a transition here. Take the case where he talked about that federal judge. Why did he have to bring race into it? I would agree with him the federal judges are corrupt. I'm going through it right now. You heard what happened to my case, didn't you? Which were the one with the the uh, American Sniper guy? American Sniper. Right. They overturned it and are sending it back for a new trial. So this is when he accused you of, of something and then you sued him and then you won and now they're going back to take it to a new trial? Yeah. They, they didn't like the outcome, so they overturned it, the appeals court, and they sent it all back. They washed my award away. See, what happened was he wrote in his book a lie. He told a story that never happened. Mm-hmm. It didn't occur. And so I sued him over it, and I won in front of a jury. You sued his estate because he's passed away. What's that? You sued, you sued his estate because he passed away, basically. Well, that's what happens. Right. happens. I sued him, and then he died, and then it automatically goes to the estate. Which made you public enemy number one. Yeah, even though, and here's what happened. Here's what people need to know. And I still stand up. I'll be public enemy number one because the truth is on my side. And the truth actually caused the case to get overturned. Let me explain. Okay, throughout the whole trial, the estate kept kept telling the jury how much it was hurting them financially to go through this. Mm -hmm. In other words, playing to the jury's sympathy. When all the time we knew it, the judge knew it, and they knew it, that it was all being paid for by insurance. Hmm. It wasn't costing them a nickel. That's called poor-mouthing. They're not allowed to do that. Well, the judge still wouldn't allow the insurance claim to be made in the trial until the end, when two people from HarperCollins Book Company got on the stand and tried to diminish my importance. We then went to the judge and said, wait a minute, Your Honor, they've poor-mouthed. Now you've got two people from the book company who, who, who are providing the insurance and are trying to get the jury. That's conflict of interest. The judge agreed, the federal judge, and he said, okay, you can bring it in limited. Now, it came into the trial, four questions in an 11-day trial, a half a page of in the in the closing arguments of a twenty page closing argument, a half a page, and it was the truth. Yet these two federal judges, uh, Shepard and Riley, I'll say their names. They we lost two to one. They claim it poisoned the jury. Hmm. So. 
get this. It was okay for the lies to come into court, but once the actual truth came out, that means there has to be a new trial. Now, what's insane about a judicial system that when the truth comes out, a new trial is warranted because of it? Now, don't even let me end there. The, the rules of the trial, these are corrupt judges because the rules state that if they, they must object in the trial so that the judge has a chance to rule on it and the jury has a chance to hear it. In closing, in closing arguments, that's a rule. They did not object. The, the jury was dismissed at 11.58. At 12.02, after the jury was gone, they then objected, and the judge overruled their objection, and we moved on. These two judges are now allowing this objection to be that never happened to take place even though the rules stated it had to take place during the trial in front of the jury, and it didn't. They're allowing, they're overturning it with, on that, when, they, when they're breaking their own rules, Chris. Now that's corruption. When you, when you have rules that you're supposed to follow and you break them, whether, whether it be fishing, whether it be uh, anything, you're corrupt. Golf. If you go out and cheat at golf... You're a corrupt golfer. Well, these judges, that's the rules. For 76 years, no case has allowed this, and mine's the first one. Do you think it's because you're going up against uh, you know, an American hero now due to the, the pub- publicity you got from the movie? Well, the point, maybe, I don't know, but the point of the matter is, um, again, he's not a hero because heroes have to have... Uh, have to be honest and you know right. and, and a liar the, the, you know is not a hero because you got to have honor i'm talking public perception though yeah public perception well but but again a jury okay look at it this way chris how overwhelming must the evidence have been for the jury to have sided with me right. against the widow and the hero yeah and yet these two judges have now disrespected that jury and they basically said we don't give a crap the ju- and they didn't hear any evidence these two judges the jury heard it all and they're throwing out the jury verdict illegally breaking their own rules then I had another claim for unjust enrichment they've thrown that out too and what that is 33 media giants entered this case last June wanting the unjust enrichment overturned, and they did it. Mm. Now, let me explain how this is going to have repercussions. If this is allowed to go through as it has been now overturned by these judges, Shepard and Riley, that means the media can now defame you and for profit and keep it. In other words, in layman's terms, if you went out and robbed the bank and you got a million dollars robbing the bank and they caught you and they sent you to prison for three years for the bank robbery and once you did your three years, you'd get to come out and keep the money. Wow, right, 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 right. right. That's what they're allowing you. They're allowing profit from wrongdoing and the media wants that so that they don't have to fact check because the media is now in the business of rating points. They're not in the business of informing us, so they don't bother to fact-check nothing. How many stories do you see come out, hit the big headlines, and then all of a sudden, a day later, they're being, well, it wasn't quite that way. Right. See, and they want the ability to be able to defame you, make money off it, and then you're not entitled to any type of, if you're the defamed person, you can't touch their money. And that's what these two judges have okayed. So what do you do then? Just wait for a new trial and stay, well, stay the we, course? We, we can, we're we're, we're, we're going to appeal to the Supreme Court over the fact that I was denied a trial by jury. Right. Because they overturned the jury, so I didn't get a jury trial, and it was done over something that was not objected to during the trial. Mm-hmm. Well, how do they have the right to overturn the case if it wasn't objected to properly in the trial? So they, but chances are I'm not going to win. So we'll try the case again. But you know, I take the positive attitude, Chris. Here's what I, why. Now I can speak freely so everyone will know insurance. Well, you know this. You've written books. 
any book guy knows that when you write a book, the book company picks up the liability. Right. And they'll and do a legal so draft. Getting too. that word out so people understand that, you know, that's a standard rule on a normal contract. And Kyle had it, too. If that's kept out of the courtroom, you want to know why? Lobbyists. The insurance lobby doesn't want juries to know that they're involved because then they might give too big of awards. Well, and that's they usually do a, a legal draft where they'll go through and pick apart anything that you may get sued for. So that's definitely on the publisher's uh, head for, for letting that even get out in the first place. Exactly, and they did no due diligence. Right. When he wrote this story, how hard would it have been for the publisher to have called me? Sure. Because I had it happen in another book. There's a book out there called Under and Alone. It's a story about the Mongols Motorcycle Club who was infiltrated by an ATF agent. And they, he wrote about me in the book. And so they sent me a copy of the book. And they said, Governor, do you have a problem with any of this? And I read it. And I did have a major problem. And I called them back and they corrected it. I didn't run from being a Mongol because I am. But what I didn't like was they wrote, the Mongols started off in the early 1970s as your typical white supremacist bike club. And I said, I would never join anything that's white supremacist. I said, to me, being a biker is a lifestyle, and the color of your skin has nothing to do with it. You're a biker. And, I, and she said, the, the publisher said, well, how can you prove that's not true? And I started laughing. I said, I think I can prove it easy. She said, tell me. I said, the Mongols are 75% Mexican. Mm-hmm. I said, I've never met a Latino white supremacist, have you? <laughs> and she started laughing. She said, no, I haven't. And she immediately removed it from the book. She said, that won't be printed. And I said, thank you. Because mm-hmm. I said, that's not, in fact, the Mongols started because the Hell's Angels are white supremacist. The Hell's Angels wouldn't allow Mexicans. So the Mongols started in Southern California of all the Mexicans that couldn't get into the angels. Got it. And then they didn't care if they were white people. They weren't prejudiced. So I was one of the few white guys who could ride into East L.A., fly in my patch in those days, and never be bothered because mm. of the patch I wore. Right. So, but here was a book that did due diligence. They called me up. Sure. And they didn't take me out of the book. They just removed the white supremacy thing. You know, I said, I, I would never join any white supremacist. Yeah, group. yeah, yeah. Of course. You can't, you can't be making those accusations. And that's why it's a very easy fix. And that's yeah. why they do the legal draft every well, time. And why wouldn't they? When they're accusing me, Chris Kyle accused me of treason. Right. Why wouldn't they have called me up and showed me that chapter and say, What's your response to this? I said, if you print it, I'll sue you. It never, it never happened. Or, or even, even just tell them, listen, you can't put this in here because we might be liable for it. That's happened to me a couple times. You don't even call the person. You just go, it's not worth putting it in there. Just take it out. Yeah. You know, it's easy to fix it uh, if you catch it early on. Well, so. You know what came out in the trial? What's You're going to love this, Chris, because you've written books. You know what came out in the trial? They did two or three drafts right. of my chapter. Yeah. They improved it. Every time they did a new draft, I was more of a villain, and he was more of a hero. <laughs> they were doing that on purpose, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it was totally made up. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, that come out, and that's what the jury saw. So the, and the jury ruled in my favor. Mm-hmm. And yet these two judges, Shepard and Riley, have taken it. And then they even wrote a quote that I never said. Well, see, that's getting into Pro Wrestling Illustrated stuff now. They're just making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> and they're able to do it because they sit in those ivory towers. So when Donald Trump said, we have corrupt federal judges, he is right. And look at it this way. Who appoints these corrupt judges? Corrupt politicians. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Democrats and Republicans who are all corrupt. They're all owned. They have a system based upon the concept of bribery. Bribery in the private sector is illegal. In their sector, it's the norm. So they have a whole system based upon bribery. Whom would you expect they put in as judges? They put other culprits just like them. Mm -hmm. You know, honest people don't hang out with dishonest people, do they? No, that's right. There you go. 
so if they're appointing, if you're a dishonest politician, you're going to appoint dishonest judges. Simple. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Let me ask you, you mentioned, you mentioned Trump. Did you think he would make it this far uh, in the race? Did you think he had no, a chance? I don't think anybody did. What? People rose up, though, in the Republican Party, all these silent voices, and got behind him. And it, Trump, Trump's made some huge errors, and I can't believe he's done them. Like, you know the thing with that, that family that lost their son? Yeah. They were, he was dead on if he just said, look it. I oppose the Iraq war, which I assumed he did. He says he did, but I don't remember. I did. If they'd have did that to me, here would have been Jesse Ventura's response. I would have looked at that father and said, wait a minute. I oppose the Iraq war right from the beginning. Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq war. Hillary Clinton sent your son over there where he died. If I would have been president, your son would have never got there, and he'd be alive today. Right. That's how he should have handled it. Instead of fighting with the guy, and, you know, he should have said, look at the record. Hillary Clinton voted to go into Iraq. Hillary's even admitted. She said it's her worst vote in the Senate. Well, Hillary, excuse me, that was your most important vote in the Senate then, and you blew it? Why would I want you as president if the most important vote you took as a senator was the Iraq war and you voted for it? Jesse Ventura, you know, I look like a prophet today because I told I was against that war and I told you it would screw it and look at what a mess it is today. Even still. Well, like ISIS, we won't even cling to the fact, Americans, we created ISIS. ISIS wouldn't exist if we hadn't invaded Iraq. ISIS is made up of the majority of Saddam's army. Hmm. We put on unemployment. They sent that Paul Bremer in, the idiot. When you take over a country like that, you don't demolish their military. You embrace them because the military will follow orders from whoever's in charge. Hmm. If we'd have kept the Iraqi military on the payroll and use them, you would have never had all this violence that has occurred since then. You would have never had ISIS. And yet nobody here in the U.S. except me will come out and say that. And it's the truth. Well, would there be ISIS if we hadn't invaded? No. Well, I mean, the, the whole concept of, of ISIS and, and the... To me, it seems like, if, if for example, if you have a, a DUI... You can't get into Canada. They don't let you in. I don't understand why guys with ISIS ties are allowed into America in the first place. You think that would be shut down instantly after all the stuff that's been going on? Well, yes and no. Uh, I've taken the position the people of this country uh, obviously don't want any immigrants because they want to put a wall up at Mexico and turn us into East Berlin. That's what Trump says he's going to do. Do you think he has a chance of even being able to do that? It sounds Probably so ridiculous. Not, but yeah. it's, the, it's the thought that he said it. Right. Whether he can accomplish it, accomplish it, I certainly hope not. Do people realize if we stop illegal immigration to come in here, your food prices are going to double and triple? Hmm. Wait till then, then everyone will be crying. How come I'm paying so much for food now? <laughs> well, because if Jesse Ventura's out picking the strawberries. I'm going to charge 300 bucks an hour. Right. You know, yeah. or more. Great point. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. That's a great and point. The point is, these people do that work. They're our latest slaves. We pay them slave labor, and they come up here and do our bidding for us. And now we're going to stop them from coming here mm-hmm. and turn ourselves into East Berlin. We're going to have a wall. Well, remember, people, walls also keep you from getting out, too, don't they? Yeah. You know, don't forget that. And, and it's utterly ridiculous. I, you know, we're going to build walls. And, and getting back, okay, if we're going to do all this, then here's my challenge to America. Take down the Statue of Liberty. Why? Well, we're, the statue says send us your poor, send us your downtrodden. 
Yeah. Well, we don't want them. Take it down. Take no more immigrants. Shut it down. Take down the Statue of Liberty. Say we're full. And I, and I got the perfect thing to guard the borders, Chris. Let me bring all our military home. And we'll let the military guard both borders. Because let's remember something. The alleged hijackers of 9-11 came down from Canada. Mm. So shouldn't we guard our Canadian border, too? Otherwise, it's racist. <laughs> you said something so so true earlier. We said these are the most, the, the two most, basically, I don't know if hated is the word, unliked candidates in, in presidential election history. Yep. You know, both of them are yep. just out of control. And you know what the problem is? And getting back to that, I was going to tell the libertarians if I went there, Gary Johnson's a wonderful man. He'll get my vote. But here's where Gary and I would differ, and this is why I'd win and he won't. It's something called charisma. Yeah. And you got to have it today. Oh, sure. It's show business. I got it. You got it. Trump has it. Yeah. That's why he got as far as he did. I think pe- yep, people like the have fact this charisma. And yeah. and if I if I were running now, I have the charisma and I have the background and I have everything. To, and then I'd have to shame my way in the debates, and I'd use Trump to do that. You know how I do it? I'd what? say you two people want to be the commander in chief of the military and be in charge, and you don't even have the courage to allow me in the debates. Mm-hmm. Come on, Donald. You know, you're afraid to debate a veteran. I shame him into it. Do you he think to let me in? Do you think with some of his outrageous statements and like you said, you have them in, in the book of uh, the shit politicians say the one that I was laughing at was uh, our country's in serious trouble. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories, but we don't have them. When was the last time so- someone saw us beating China? I beat China all the time, all the time. He says outrageous stuff like that. Do you think when the debates happen with Hillary and, and, and Trump that, that it's the facts and figures that are going to stop him rather than just these outlandish statements that he makes that people enjoy? Uh, but when it comes down to the actual details, do you think he knows them enough to debate them? No, I don't. Yeah. But, but, I, but I also think he may not need to. Why is that? again, let's remember something. People in the United States are such lemmings today and they're so shallow. You know, right. people, people in this country claim they want to know the truth. I don't believe that because the truth can make you uncomfortable when you learn it. Yeah. And people that live in their own little comfort zones and they don't ever like to be made uncomfortable. That's why I end up a villain because, because I make people uncomfortable when I bring up facts and when then they have to look at it from a different perspective and they'll go, God, he's right. Mm-hmm. You know, but they don't like to have their comfort zones disturbed. And so, you know, that that's the big problem you got is it all comes back to us. We've elected these people. Right. You know, we put them in office and yet they act like they lord over us. We need to reassume that we're in charge. And the classic one right now is this latest ruling where the DEA says marijuana stays like heroin. Right. Excuse me. The DEA is not scientists. Since when can law enforcement make a determination like that? They are a law enforcement agency. They have nothing to do with scientific testing. They have nothing to do with laws or policy. Their job is to carry them out, not to be dictators on what happens. I'm outraged over that, that we allow them to make the decisions. Why do you think pot's being legalized state by state? Because that's the only way it'll happen is for the people to put it on the ballots and vote for it. Right. And that's that's going into the other book that you have, which is the Marijuana Manifesto, yep. which is basically you just describing this. And I know a little bit of the story, but te- tell us basically the, the main reason why uh, marijuana is, is, is an illegal substance in 2016, because it's very archaic. Well, one of the reasons, it goes all the way back to William Randolph Hearst, the right. big paper guy in Frisco. He owned thousands of acres of timberland, and hemp makes better paper than wood does. So he needed to follow the money. He needed to eliminate hemp from the market, so he paid off the politicians. They made marijuana and hemp illegal, and thus we used his wood to, build, uh, to make all his papers, newspapers. Because yeah. people need to know 
Betsy Ross's flag are all made out of marijuana. Right, 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 right. You know, now what can be more American than that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Thomas Jefferson's major cash crop was hemp. And, you know, and so, again, it's follow the money. They, obviously, the DEA, they make money by keeping hemp and marijuana illegal. That's how they make their money and have their job security. So, of course, they're going to go against it. Their jobs are on the line. If they legalize it, they can't bust for it anymore, then can they? Mm-hmm. Now, what are the good things? The state of Washington, since they legalized marijuana across the board, they've seen a 15% drop of their judicial budget statewide. That's massive. As a governor, that is huge. 15% of a, of a judicial budget because they're not prosecuting pot. Yeah. Uh, you look at Colorado. They're, they're giving how many, 300 and some million dollars to the schools this year. Something like that. All from marijuana. It's jobs. Mm-hmm. Look at the economy. We need jobs. We need you, biodiesel fuel you can make out of it. Clothing you can make out of it. And then here's my personal story and why I'm on the bandwagon and why I wrote the book. I have someone very close to me who developed uh, epileptic seizures at a later age. This person was experiencing three to four major seizures a week. They put the person on four different pharmaceutical medicines. First one, that didn't work. Then another didn't work. Then another didn't work. Then a fourth didn't work. All with horrible side effects, like one caused hair to fall out. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. This person was in Minnesota at the time, and it wasn't legal, then went to Colorado and got medical marijuana, has been seizure-free ever since, and that was two, three years ago. No seizures. Now it's legal in Minnesota, so the person doesn't have to go to Colorado anymore, but get this, the price because it's so restrictive in Minnesota, it costs $600 a month and you can't write it off because it ain't legal on your health care. Yeah. Out in Colorado for the same 30 bucks. Wow. That's really? the difference. 600 in Minnesota, 30 in Colorado for the same thing. And you don't smoke it. It's drops under the tongue yeah. and now it's pill form. And there's no THC in it at all. That's the stuff that makes you high. Hmm. Look at our veterans. Post-traumatic stress. Marijuana is phenomenal for it. They don't need any more testing. The, 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 the place over in Israel who we finance has already done all the testing. It could help the NFL. The doctor in Israel said with these brain concussions the NFL's getting, marijuana could be tremendous help for that. Well, and that's and that's what I, I think for cancer patients as well. It's very beneficial. Yep. I mean, you're basically talking about a plant. If, if if cigarettes are legal and you're talking about alcohol being legal, I'm not a pot smoker, but I have zero problem with it being legal because it's not like it's an artificial drug like cocaine or heroin or those type of things. It's a plant that you can literally find in a forest and smoke it if you wanted to. That's why it's illegal. I don't understand. Simple, Chris. The poor people could get it free, couldn't right, they? Right, right, So why do you, they want the corporations to run marijuana. Like the vote they had in Ohio that got voted down, it was because only two or three major corporations would be the distributors. See, the, the corporations want, marijuana will become legal if they get them. But the marijuana people are fighting it because, okay, my mother, I grew up in South Minneapolis, right in the inner city. But every summer, my mother grew tomatoes. All you need is a little patch of land. Yeah, a couple and seeds. We tomatoes in the summer growing in my mom's patch of land behind the house in the inner city. And uh, you can do the same thing with a pot plant. So therefore, corporations can't profit, can they, if you can grow your own? Right. So the poor people wouldn't have to pay big prices, would they? They could cultivate one or two pot plants every year, and they'd have all the marijuana they'd need. Free. Yeah. That's why. 
they won't legalize it. If it was legalized, if it was only a major like the R.J. Reynolds tobacco company was going to handle all the pot, oh, hell, you'd see it get legalized then big time. Well, why won't they then? You think that for tax purposes, that you know, if you're, California well, being in such I debt that it is. Will, but they're going to make it to where you can't grow your own. Okay, right. They'll put a caveat in there. That doesn't allow the people to grow it. You have to get it from the government right, or from the right. company. Yeah. See, that'll be the, that's the way they're trying to get it now. But unfortunately, it's going to fail because the pot smokers are too smart for that. Mm-hmm. And but, and you know and and why it's a plant. Like I tell all the religious people, I go, you know, they teach you that God put everything here for a reason for us to use. Well, God made pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how can you eradicate something God made? It's one of God's creations. Yeah. <laughs> one of God's creatures. <laughs> God, you know, I don't know if he smoked it or not, but he made it for some reason. Yeah. Right? He sure if, thing. If you believe. I See, I'm a non-believer, so I have fun with it. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, you're right, though. If you're going by the, the, the definite rules of the Bible, yeah. it's one of God's creations. Yes. You know, absolutely. And what do, how do we as man have the right to destroy his creation? Yeah. See, that's my argument to the religious people who may oppose it. Mm-hmm. And say, wait a minute, God made it. This wasn't made down at Squib Drug Factory. Yeah. I said, this is a plant that grows in the ground like a birch tree or like anything. What do you think it's going to take for the, for, and you might have already answered this, for the country to, as a whole to, to allow it to be legal? Because each state's going to do it on their own. And that way, just all, all 50 states well, are doing their own all, idea. Then the people have spoken, haven't they? Yeah. And at that point, shouldn't the federal government say, gee, I think we better change our law, mm-hmm. which they should have done already? But if, if it's legal in every state, then what difference does it make? That's, well, the difference is this. Banks cannot finance the operations if the feds keep it illegal. Gotcha. Because then it's laundering money. Right. Illegal money. So the pot things have to be totally cash now, which is dangerous. Yeah. You know, for robberies and all that. Yeah. And see, that, that's why you need the feds to get out of it. Because that way the banks can then say you've got a pot operation. It's like I have friends in Colorado that are doing You know how it works in Colorado? How? Oh, my God. You can go down and you can get a license, each individual. So if you're a couple, you can each get one. That, that entitles you to 24 plants, 18 commercial, uh, six for yourself. Right. Right? So a couple can then grow 48 plants. Well, my friends are doing it out there, and they make 2000 bucks a plant. Wow. So they're making $96,000, nearly six-figure income, growing 48 pot plants in their backyard. <laughs> what a hell of a job. <laughs> yes, not bad, is it? I mean, you you still got to be good, because pot, like anything else, has to be cultivated, and you have to have a green thumb and be a farmer. Yep. But, I mean, how, ni- how many farmers can say they make six figures on 48 stalks of corn? Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. And and this would open up to everybody. Do you think uh, either of the presidential candidates right now, Hillary or, or Trump, are, are open to that? Well, Hillary came out with the pat answer: "We need more testing." Mm-hmm. No, we don't. Right. That that that's that's avoid the question. Trump, I don't know. You could with Donald, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, you could shame him into it. You know, challenge him into it, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you do with him. All I know is Gary Johnson will end the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And I think Jill Stein would, too. Dr. Stein of the Green Party. Sure, sure. That's why, to me, this is the perfect year for the people to rise up and say, they really want to have a revolution that elects someone that doesn't belong to either party. Mm-hmm. That's what I would, would have challenged them to do. If I would have ran, Chris, I would have said, America, make history with me and elect the first president of the United States since George Washington who does not belong to a political party. Because that was the other thing I was going to tell the libertarians if I did it. I will not join your party. I will take your endorsement. I will take your ballot access. But I will not join the party. That way I have the freedom 
to tell America, no political party owns me. Mm -hmm. And I believe I could have won on that, Chris. I think, you know, Jesse, I wish you would have run because I think that the time is coming that that there's an actual chance of this happening. I don't know if it'll happen this election, but I think it's coming. Well, usually you don't want an incumbent, but like I told my wife the other day, I said, you know, if Hillary gets in there and doesn't do all that she promised the Bernie people, yeah, I said she could be beaten in four years. That's right, easily. You know, and I said, so maybe my time is still waiting. Maybe, maybe there's a. Re- I always believe kind of in fate, which is kind of weird considering I'm a non-believer. Mm-hmm. But I, I sometimes have a belief that things happen for a reason. You know. Oh, absolutely. And so maybe my time is 2020. I don't know, but I'd be awful old then. Yeah. That'd be hard to convince me to do it even then, because I'm 65 now, if you mm-hmm. can believe that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, man. Last uh, last couple questions, Jesse. Sure. Uh, WrestleMania four, or five, 4 and 5 were at uh, Trump Towers in Atlantic yeah. City. Did you have any interactions with Donald? Any, sure, any... that's when I first met him. Was was he? I've been friends with Donald for 25 years. I love the guy. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Don't give me. I love Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I just don't agree with his political position. Sure, sure. You know, but as uh, Donald, well, the, I'll give you one. The greatest table at dinner one night in New York City. Tell me you wouldn't have wanted to sit there. Donald Trump, Jesse Ventura, and Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Tell me that wouldn't be a dinner table. <laughs> no, that happened. Donald Trump, Jesse Ventura, and Woody Harrelson, because Woody's a friend of mine. And we were all in New York, and we all went to dinner together. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, yeah, that's the thing with Donald. I mean, he's been around, involved with the WWE for years, four and five. He actually did a WrestleMania, caused Vince to get his head shaved. He understands the concept of what we do, and well, I think he's used that for his campaign so far. Well, and he also knows if I'd have gotten the race, he'd have got beat, too. Because <laughs> he'd know one thing, Trump would know I can't out-talk a wrestler. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> who do you think, uh, if you had to make a prediction, who do you think is going to be the president of the United States in three Hillary. months? You think Hillary? Yeah, because if all the women want her, she wins. Right. You right. know, if they want to make their mark like the African Americans made their mark with Barack, if they want to make their the, the sad part is this. It isn't going to mean any difference, just like it didn't with our first black president. Hmm. It won't make any difference. As far as making a change? Yeah. Yeah, Hillary's the globalist, man. Hillary's in tight. You notice she had to switch her position on all the trade things to get to get the nomination. Well, once she gets in there, watch, she'll go back the other way. How much influence does Bill Clinton have in all this? I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, certainly you'd think he'd have some. He's a former president. I'd use him. I, I just mean as far as people's perceptions, too. They loved him so much in 92 and 96. I wonder if they would vote for Hillary just because they like Bill so much. Maybe. Yeah. Those are questions that you I can't answer. We'll find out soon enough, though, I'm sure. Yep, we sure will. Chris, it's been fun. Always great, Jesse. Thank you so much, man. You're All one of right, my favorites. We'll do it again, man. And, oh. uh, convince Vince to bring me to a WrestleMania. He won't bring me because he'd have to pay me. <laughs> so he'd have to give me my royalties, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's a whole other... I don't get invited. People always ask me, how come you're never back at the WrestleManias? Everybody comes back. I tell him because Vince would have to give me royalties if he puts it on TV or tape. And I said, and he won't do it. His ego won't let him. Well, that's a whole other can of worms, too, with the network now. That's another conversation for another time. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Take care, Chris. Thanks, Jesse. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Jesse the Body Ventura. I can't stop calling him the body. I guess maybe he's Jesse the Mind. Uh, always such a great time talking with him. He's a trip. He's got two new books out, remember, Shit Politicians Say, and Jesse Ventura's Marijuana Manifesto. And if you live in New Jersey, you can see Jesse in person and get him to sign your books. I'm sure he'll sign whatever you want. He's going to be at Bookends in Ridgewood. Great, great place. I sign every one of my uh, books there at Bookends. Uh, he's going to be there uh, September 8th, 7 p.m. Eastern at Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey. He's going to be at Barnes & Noble in Hackensack, New Jersey at 2 p.m. Eastern time on the 10th, and Barnes & Noble at Rutgers university at 2 p.m on the 11th so uh there you go ridgewood hackensack rutgers university go down and check out jesse ventura uh you will not regret it and if you don't live in new jersey you can also get both those books at amazon all right use the talk is jericho links to get them like always all those amazon links are at podcast1.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button i got amazing links for the usa uk canada a every time you use the talk is jericho amazon links amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production 
costs. You can buy anything you want on Amazon and use them Amazon links. It's not going to cost you any uh, extra fees or hidden charges. Just go to podcast1.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button, all right? Uh, and if you buy something on Amazon, I want you to tweet it on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho. I will follow you and I'll retweet it. That's what I'm going to do for you. And all my great sponsors are also there at the Killer Deals and Podcast One. DDP Yoga, you get 5, 10, 15, 20% off the DDP Yoga program, plus three months of full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. DraftKings, use my promo code Y2J to play for free with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. BetDSI.com, use my promo code Jericho25. And of course, TrueCar. If you want the fastest uh, and uh, fastest car buying experience and save time, go to TrueCar.com. And don't forget, March 15, 2017, I called him a stupid idiot tonight, but he will be on Talk is Jericho. Mick Foley, it's going to be the biggest podcast ever. 188 days and counting. Going to be great. Uh, so keep listening. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And on Friday, it's because this is a huge one. My best friend, the new Universal Champion, the longest reigning Universal Champion in WWE history is going to be here. Kevin Owens, my best friend, is going to be here on Talk is Jericho on Friday. What more can I say about that? It's going to be huge. So we will see you then and drink it in, man. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.